Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Fantastic. We have such uh, a load of work to, and, and, and a lot of things to just dissect uh, this evening. And I, I just want to pray that God gives me the strength to communicate as effectively as I can. One thing that you're going to carry from this teaching is an unusual passion to do more. An unusual passion. In fact, there's, there's a preacher that by Bill Hybels by his name calls it holy discontent. Holy discontent. I think I've used the word similarly too as well. It, it, it's, an, it's a righteous dissatisfaction. I want you to live with that kind of passion today. But I want to lay some groundwork for us as we dive into this. We're in the series Gospel of Grace. And I'm telling you, it's, I don't know about you, but every time we get to study and talk about the gospel of Jesus, it renews me in such a different, powerful new way. I've been teaching the gospel of Christ effectively since 2014, the time that I first believed. 2014, I believed in the gospel for real. And since that time, I've been preaching till now. That should be, what, almost eight years. Preaching the gospel. And of course, it's grown. But I've heard this gospel, and even before then, I've heard the gospel, but now this same thing that I've heard all my life keeps getting better. Isn't that beautiful? Have you seen people who age and age, and the more they age, they're like, ah, wait, how old are you? <laughs> you know, this actor I, I always wonder about, Paul Rudd, the guy who's called Ant-Man. I saw him in, in this series called Friends, and I saw him again in this new movie coming out, the trailer, Ant-Man. I'm like, this guy did not age. You know, when you age like fine wine, it just gets better the more you hear it, the more you see it, the more it ages and grows. It's beautiful. I love the gospel. I love the gospel. And it's a message that transforms us for good. Glory to God. I want to just establish this and say that, you know, when you become born again, when you believe the gospel of Christ, when you get saved and and you are brought into the family of God, you start out as an infant. As anyone who gets born you know, comes, you come as a child, you come as an infant, as a baby, not knowing your left from your right. And when you came into the faith, dear believer, if you're listening to this, you came as an infant, quite all right. But, you know, as you have a child, this child is young, you breastfeed the child. If you have several months down the line, maybe this child becomes two years old, and you see the mother breastfeeding, you would, you would ask questions out of, just out of concern not, and, and curiosity. Uh, Madam, what's going on here? I just want to understand. This child is two years old and still breastfeeding. Imagine you see a five-year-old. And the funny thing about this is the way God made it is if you want to continue to breastfeed, you will keep going. That's just how it works. It's interesting. And at five years old, imagine the child is still breastfeeding. You would, you would say, ah, Madam, please. This one is, this, <laughs> this is one is not right. This is ungodly. Because there are expectations of a child who once was born an infant. If you start feeding a child who was born young, Eba, they will call you to question, right? They, they, if you're feeding a child yam and rice that is just few days old, there's a problem. Likewise, when you, the child grows and ages, 
there's expectations with that growth. And I just want to talk quickly about it as we open this Bible, uh, this scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, from verse 11 to 14. Are you excited about the word of God? Yes, sir. All right, let's go there right away. Hebrews chapter 4, from verse 11 to 14. This is powerful. This is powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, are you there? Hebrews 4, 11 says, About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Yikes. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you now need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. Listen. He says, the one who what feeds on milk is what? Unskilled. In the word of righteousness, it's specific. The one who is still feeding on the basics, on the littlest things, is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. Verse 14, pay attention. It says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, To distinguish good from evil. I will take that again. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment. Trained by constant practice. To distinguish between good and evil. I want to put to you this. There are expectations of you, dear believer. In this year, 2023, there are expectations of you. And like I said, like I said. You know, one thing that I find a lot of people doing is they, they, they want to rush their process, right? They, I want to bring a balance. Some people want to rush their process. You just got into the faith and you're excited by some of the big words you're hearing. For the first time, you're hearing apologetics. You're hearing charismatics. You're hearing eschatology, soteriology, Christology. And you're like, hey, me too, I want this thing. Ah! So when I talk, I can show off, you know? And you start to go for these big things, whereas... It's okay to start little. It's okay to start with the foundations. And whenever someone comes to faith, I tell you, don't rush it. Just learn about this gospel. That is the foundation. And that's why we're doing this series. This is the very base minimum. And I'm saying this because as we start to go into the next months of the year, we are going aggressively. We are accelerating someone. I want you to follow through. We've laid the foundation. It's time to build some more. But I'm here to tell you this. As much as it's okay to take your time, there will be expectations of you. You cannot continue to drink milk all your life. He says the one that drinks milk is unskilled. Unskilled. You cannot handle this word, this gospel of righteousness. You cannot understand. You cannot teach. You cannot dissect it. I'm here to tell you that your growth is your responsibility. Can you say that to someone Mention their names. Your growth is your responsibility. No one will grow for you. Do you understand? No one will grow for you. No one will say, I want to grow you. It is first and foremost your responsibility. No one will help you grow without your permission. That's just the truth. If you don't allow anyone to help you grow, you won't. You cannot grow. It's impossible. And when you think about it, even as a child... When you're presented food and milk, if you don't open your mouth to eat, to chew, what happens? 
you will not grow. You will not eat. You won't have the nutrients that you need to grow. But I want to encourage you this year. I want to encourage you to stay hungry for God. I know I, I'm, I'm going to go into the teaching right away, but I want to, I just want, I just want to encourage you. Take your growth this year seriously. It, it should be measurable. I think when we talk about career goals and personal development goals, we, we, we like to go to smart goals. We like to be specific, measurable. But when it comes to spiritual goals, many of you don't know what it's like. You don't know how to measure your goals. How do you know that you've grown? You need to be able to put it in a measurable way. Okay, this is what I would recommend. I've done this and this is how I grew. I grew so, I won't lie to you, I grew really fast. When I got saved, I was in such a position where my faith and my knowledge of the Lord grew exponentially. I see the reason why now. God wanted to use it for the benefit of many others. But I was intentional. That doesn't take away the sacrifice. I know that was an unusual grace, but it doesn't take away the willingness, the sacrifice to grow. I remember that I asked myself about 150 questions, wrote it down in a book. Sadly, I lost the book, and that's why I'm always digital now. I had 150 questions, some of them translated into the devotionals I've written. And I had, had questions about prayer, about the Word of God, about fasting, about offerings, about anointing, about tithing. I asked all these questions, and my ability to understand and give answers, the right accurate answers to these questions, helped me grow. It proved that I had moved from a place of ignorance on these matters to a place of understanding. And of course, when you, when you tell someone, uh, for example, you know, the, the basics of, int int of integrated science or science in school, you have something called Mr. Niger D. They're the qualities of living things, right? There's movement, uh, there's respiration, there is nutrition, there's all of that. There is all those things, right? and even death. But, you know, when you start to go deeper, you find out that on, on just respiration, there's a whole world. When you go on to irritability, uh, when you go into nutrition, there, there's a whole world on nutrition. There are courses, there, there are books on nutrition. When you talk about death, there's mo so much to talk about death. So at the end of the day, I'm saying this to let you know that you can know more. You can do more this year. You can grow more. You can be intentional. You can measure your growth. This is where I was, even in terms of, this is how I used to pray. I couldn't pray every single week. Every single day, I couldn't pray every single week. I couldn't read my Bible every single day. I couldn't read my Bible every single week. Now there's some consistency. That is growth. But I want you to pay attention to it. Be mindful of it. Don't just haphazardly go into the year and hope that somehow your pastors, your ministry gifts will just do it for you. You must be intentional. You must be able to track your growth. You must be able to measure it and see that, look, I was moving from a place of unskilledness in righteousness to a place where now I can handle the word of truth. It says that one of the marks of a mature person from that scripture we read is that the person is able to discern right from wrong, good from evil. If you see that your discernment is growing, you hear a teaching, you hear a teaching, you're like, no, ah, no, no, no. This one, it sounds energetic. You are, I, I see that you are sweating even from the gesticulations. Boy, what you have said is wrong. You just find that you are, you are being more sensitive. You hear someone say something, and you don't just let it pass. Someone just says, I mean, at the end of the day, all of us just find our way to God. You say, no, that's not, that's not the truth. 
We're not a universalist people. The Bible says there is one way to the Father and it's Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And you, just because of that, you cannot take it. You discern that is wrong and you speak out. Jesus is the only way. We don't just find our own individual ways. There's only one way. That's how you know you're growing. Praise the name of Jesus. And, and, and as you're doing this, I want to encourage you further that to grow properly the biblical way, you must be given to discipleship. You must be given to discipleship. And I want you to, and, and when you talk about discipleship, you're talking about having someone who disciples you. All right? You must be submitted to discipleship. I want you to resist the urge this year. That thing that plays at the back of your mind, that whoever is your ministry gift or mentor is too busy for you. You need to realize that the work that they are doing is for you. It's for you. Yes, I know that there's so much that can be on people's plates, but don't you ever think for one second that they are too busy for you. You are part of the work. You are the work they've given their lives to do. Do you understand that? I, I have people come up to me, and maybe people don't understand what, what it means to follow, what it means to be a disciple, maybe. But at the end of the day, the urge to say, no, I don't want to text this person. I don't want to call this person. They might be busy. I'm not saying cross boundaries. I'm not saying call people at odd hours and say, hey, I just wanted to gist with you. Have fun now. What's up? What's up, people, pastor? You know, I just wanted to gist with you. I'm not doing anything with my time right now. I just wanted to waste, you know, spend some time with you. I'm not saying you should do that. But I'm saying at the end of the, at the, end of the day, be intentional about how you follow. When you have questions, don't wait a second. Send the question. Send it. If they don't reply, send a reminder. Don't just, people are just very petty. You send a message, the person doesn't reply, you see. I said it's puffed up, puffed up generation. <laughs> These people just don't care. This is, this. no, send a reminder. If they don't send the reminder, send a reminder to that reminder, then call. I'm telling you, at least the person will respond, no matter how busy. You are part of the work. You are the work, actually. You are the work that was committed into our hands. Praise the name of Jesus. And I want to just say lastly that there's no end to how much you can grow in the faith. Until Jesus returns, our Lord Jesus returns, there is no end to how much you can grow. You can grow in the fruit of the Spirit. See, let me just tell you this and, and, and quote me anywhere. Anyone who can live consistently every day, every second in all the fruit of the Spirit, in all the fruit of the Spirit, is a, is a mature Christian. A mature Christian. That every situation, every time where there's a temptation to do otherwise, you walk according to the Spirit. You fulfill the fruit of the Spirit. You, you represent them. You, you exemplify them. You, look, you will look exactly like Christ. That's true. So no matter what, there is always room for growth. You can be more fruitful in your walk with the Lord this year. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Look for every opportunity to grow. When there's a situation where you are impatient, let the Holy Spirit work patience in you. When you have to make a cue, when you are in a place where people are acting out of, of, of order, let the Lord work in patience. Let the Lord work, work patience in you. When there are people who you just cannot be around and love, let the Lord work love unconditionally in you. I, I want you this year to look like an impossibility. That's, that's what I'm saying. I want you to look like an impossibility that people will look at you and say, ah, this person is unreal. Either this person is pretending or this person is mentally unstable. Let them ask questions. How did that person offend you and you let go like that? How is it that you're in a situation where you lost many things but you're rejoicing? 
Let people think you're an impossibility. How? How are you doing what you're doing? How? Are you Jesus in flesh? Are you reincarnated? And you say, yes, Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador is someone who can stand exactly in the same place where the shoes of the person that they're representing. Look like an impossibility this year. Oh, glory to God. Last thing I'll just say is this. Pray, read your Bible, and teach others. That's how you grow. When you learn, you, you realize that the best way to learn, and many of you, maybe you have tutorials in your school where you know, someone comes up to meet you and says, can you explain this to me? And when you explain, somehow you just find that as you're talking, there are more things you never saw before, and it starts to flow. It starts to connect. That's the, that's the, 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 the element that completes the cycle of learning. When you actually teach what you've learned, that's when you know for sure you understand what you've learned. Do you understand? I want you to give attention to the teaching of the word this year. You know, in 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 15, Paul charged Timothy to do the same thing. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. And then verse 15, it says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that you all may see your progress. Great, see, your growth beckons. Your growth beckons. It's only when you give yourself wholly and, Im and immerse yourself in this that your profiting will appear. It's not magic. Day by day, and many of you, you've seen it in your life. You, all you've done is just be consistent and available. You've come for our teachings, for services. You've listened to podcasts, you've read the scriptures, you've prayed with people, you've attended our prayer meetings, and somehow you're seeing this growth. I want to encourage you, keep at it. Your profiting is appearing. I see your profiting. We see your profiting. It's showing. You might not have to say it all the time, but we see it. And that in itself is an inspiration to many others. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Let's get into what we're here for today. Glory to God. I, 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 if there's a summary to everything I've said, is that there is more. There is a spirit gym in the school of the spirit. There's a spirit gym where you do the same things consistently, constant. The, the scripture we read in Hebrews 4.14 4, says constant practice. When you do something again and again, it builds you. You know, recently I, I had to re-enroll in a gym again. You know, I've not been able to find a good one. Finally found one. And I started to work out and work out. And oh my God, it's painful. The first few days of, of going back to the gym, it is painful. Ah, as I'm raising my hand now, Seth, can I see I'm, I'm limited? I'm doing, praise the Lord. I'm not doing praise. There, there's a reason. <laughs> hey, God, help us. Somebody. Anyways, the point is this. It's painful. It's tedious and sometimes discouraging. Sometimes you go to the gym, you don't see any change. Ah, all this pain, nothing. You go, you do, you know, ladies, you are doing your squatting, you are checking. Ah, ah, not a shake, not a shake. <laughs> you, you do the no biceps, no muscles, nothing. But eventually, there's a breaking point. There's a point where you go, when you stretch beyond that, you start to see it. Ah, okay, I see it now. Oh, I see it, it's paid off. And that will be many of you. You will see that your, your labors are paying off in Jesus' name. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are an older child? You might be the second born, but you have people below you. You're the first born, you have people below you. Great. Fantastic. Have you not noticed how it was when you were just by yourself? Maybe you were the first born. You came in to the picture, 
It was nice. You had the apple of both your parents' eyes. It was beautiful. It was great. You got everything you wanted. You were pampered. You were treated right. And then Junior came. And then the attention kind of shifted a bit. And not only that, the attention shifted. There was now conferred upon you some sort of responsibility for that person. Am I communicating? That there's expectation that, ah, ah, don't you, can't you look after your brother? Can't you check that your brother, can't you check that your sister? There are expectations. There are expectations. And that's how family works. You come in, you are an entitled child, you have the affection, you, people are responsible for you, but you get to a point where you start to become responsible for others. That is how family works. And guess what? That is how the family of God works. Infants are first. When you get born again, the infants are the responsibility of the kingdom. But let me tell you this, that sons are responsible for the kingdom. That's why I started with that scripture. That as you grow to maturity in the faith, when you start off, people are responsible for you. We are responsible. We will take care of you. We will help you grow. We will build you till you're strong to, to crawl. And then you're able to stand. And you're able to walk and run and fly. We will do that. We will coach you. We will guide you. But guess what? There are expectations. As we've taken care of you, the expectation is that you start to take care of others. You become responsible for the kingdom. And, and this is how I'm going to explain this. I'm going to explain the, the healthy trapatite relationship that we have with God. And that is the title for this teaching. I'm going to show you how you take your place as a son, as a servant, and as a soldier. Let's talk about son. I mean, we, we talked about this in, 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 at a long stretch last week, but I want to emphasize some points. As a son, your responsibility as a son. We've talked about new creation realities, the things that you are and that you have. We talked about that last week. Now, we're talking about the things that you have to do. New creation responsibilities. Number one, as a son, let, let me show you what your responsibility is as a son. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 from verse 15 to 17. I'm going to just give you some, some establishing points. This is powerful stuff. Romans chapter 8 from verse 15 to 17. It says, For you did not receive the, the, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And when you think about it in the Hebrew language, Abba means Father. Why didn't the author just write, we can call him Father? Because the, the Latin Vulgate that was used, the Latin dialect used for father here, was representative of what the Greeks and the Gentiles will call him. Abba was the word used by the Jewish people. Basically what Paul is saying that by one spirit of adoption, whoever you are, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, guess what? You all get to partake in sonship by faith in Jesus Christ. Can I hear a loud hallelujah if you believe that? Glory to God. He says you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. The spirit of bondage again to fear, he's talking about the law. He's established the context from verse 2, verse 3 of chapter 8. 
The law inspires fear. There's a bondage that comes to it. But he says there's a liberating spirit that invites you into a new family, that brings you in and tells you, welcome home. You now have a home. You now have a family. You now have a father. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Hallelujah. That we are children of God. Are you a child of God? Can I see your hands? Does the spirit of God bear witness with your spirit? Yes, he does. Hallelujah. It's not a feeling. (laughs) By faith, you know you belong. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs of God. And joined heirs with Christ. Now with this sonship comes some inheritance. Things that you can call your own. And he says... Joint heirs with who? With Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. First Corinthians chapter 12. I want to show you what got you into this in the first place. So we see the spirit of adoption. First Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 12 to 13. As per usual, we're going to read a lot of scriptures. And, and it's just to give you proof and evidence sufficiently that when you go back, you can look at these things yourself. First Corinthians 12 verse 12 to 13. If this is not one of your favorite scriptures in the world, man, make it one of them today. Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So he's saying, look, they're members of one body, and I want to use the picture of the human body to represent Christ. Verse 13. Paul says... For by one spirit, (laughs) for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. You see that scripture, that that, that, uh, phrase again. Whether Jew or Greek, Abba, Father, the representation is there. Whether you are a Jew or you are a Gentile, whether you are a slave or you are free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. This is literally... This is what you call the baptism of the Spirit. This is it. I know many times we talk about the baptism of the Spirit and we talk about the symptoms of the baptism. We talk about speaking in tongues. We talk about prophecy. And yes, these are the result of the baptism. But the direct consequence of the baptism of the Spirit is that you were brought in. You were immersed You who did not once belong, you are now invited in as a child, as a member, as a member of the body of Christ. Do you see that? You are invited. This is a literal representation of what we just read. By the spirit of adoption, you were included. You were immersed. You were baptized into the family of God. Shout aloud, hallelujah. hallelujah. This is who you are. You are a child of the most high God. You belong to the family. Hallelujah. Say, I belong to the family of God. I've been baptized into this family. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. I love this. It's a powerful scripture. Whenever I read it, I'm so humbled by this. In a family, you have a father, you also have siblings. And you have a firstborn. Hebrews chapter 2, from verse 10 to verse 13. It says, for it was fitting for him... For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. 
I love this. He brought many sons, many sons, many sons, many sons to glory. Are you one of those sons? Yes, sir. Hallelujah. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason? Look at that. We are all of one. The one who what? Sanctifies. Who is that? Our Lord. And those who are being sanctified, who is what? Who, who is us? Are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Ah, look at verse 13. Again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And your Lord Jesus calls you brother. Yeah. Yeah. Your Savior calls you brother. Calls you sister. Calls you joint heir. Yeah. That is powerful. He's not ashamed. Even though you were ashamed of yourself. You were a mess just yesterday. You made those mistakes last week. He's not ashamed to identify with you. Because you are all of one. You belong to one family. He's not ashamed of you. Oh, God is not ashamed of you. He calls you brother. He calls you sister. Hallelujah. This hits me different every time. Every time. Glory to God. So he calls us brother. It's part of the package of sonship. Next thing I'll say is we have an inheritance. I talked about this last week, but I'll just give you some more scriptures that I didn't read before. We have an inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 13. Glory to Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. This is one of your favorites. See, a lot of favorites here. Just, just remarking them. Memorize them if you can. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 13. It says, In him you, ha- you, you have trusted, in whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14 who is the guarantee, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of what? Of our inheritance. Our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. There's a guarantee of your inheritance. You have an inheritance. There are papers that have been signed with your name on it saying this is your inheritance. It's been sealed, signed, and soon to be delivered. Hallelujah. Verse 18 also says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, I, that you may know, that you may know, ah, glory to God, what is the hope of his calling, the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, his inheritance in the saints. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 12. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 12. Are you there? Praise the name of Jesus. It says, giving thanks to the Father. <laughs> you, see that, you see that representation? Not just giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to what? The Father. The Father. Who has what? Qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Hallelujah. 
God qualified you to be a partaker in an inheritance. Hallelujah. There's an inheritance to your name. Hallelujah. I've talked about it. You start, the inheritance starts with all that the salvation package offers you initially. When you are forgiven, when you are blessed, when you are redeemed, when you are invited into God's family, these are part of the package. But there's also one to come. There is a, there's a past, present, future package. It's part of the inheritance. Like the Holy Spirit who moves in is part of your inheritance. Where the, the glorified body you receive is part of your inheritance. And the rewards for your labor on this world. God is not faithful to overlook your labor. Hallelujah. He'll reward it all. It's part of your inheritance. Glory to Jesus. We've received much from our Father. Thank you, Lord. And so, when I look at this now, in the new covenant, compared to how it was in the old, and let me just talk about that. In the old covenant, it was very different. It was very different. There's something you call the tetragram or tetragrammaton, which is Yadhad Hadve, which is Y-W-H, uh, did I spell it right? Y-H-W-H, yes, Y-H-W-H, which is, you call it tetragram because it doesn't contain vowels and it's just four letters. Um, but when you translate this, it can mean Yahweh, and when combined with Adonai, it can mean Jehovah. But this was the word that the Hebrew people had of God. And they could not even utter this word. They could not. Because it came with such a sense of reverence. A holy, sacred sound to it. They couldn't just call him by name. So they used substitutes. Jaira, provider. Rapha, healer. Praise the name of Jesus. All of that. All of that. Hallelujah. It's beautiful. And so, this man comes on the scene. Jesus Christ, in John chapter 10, verse 30 to 33, and he caused a lot of chaos. This is what he says. This man who people have identified as rabbi, and this is what happens. Verse 30, he says, I and my father are one. Hmm. Hmm. You know, there was a different way with which Jesus spoke that the disciples wanted to know. They saw Jesus speak with such intimacy and and. Many of them were followers, like Andrew, were followers of John the Baptist who prayed. And he says, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, our father, yeah. <laughs> our father, that's how he starts. Who is in heaven? And here he says it again. I and my father are one. Okay. This is strange. And the people got angry. The Jews could not take it. What do you mean? And the context, he had already talked about God. And now he talks to God as his father. Not as a slave of God. Not as a servant of God. He's talking as a son of God. How dare you? How? The Jews took up stones against him. Again, brother. They took up stones again. He's been a troublemaker. To stone him. And as they were doing this, Jesus answered, Many good works I've shown you from my father. For which ones do you stone me? Why are you trying to stone me? And the Jews said, no, not for a good work that we stone, we're stoning you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself God. You see, the question here is this. Why were these people so revved up? Why were they so angered? 
Because the very idea that you could be related to a divine supreme God like Yahweh was unheard of. If you say you are a son, you are saying you are in a class of divinity. If you're saying you are a child, it means that you're saying, to them it means you're saying that you are, you know, that you are divine, you're God. And he says, I and my father are one. There's unity with us. It got them crazy. And if you were to speak to them today and you say, I am a child of God. I have a spirit of adoption. They will think you're a madman. Probably carry up stones for you. But this is such a privilege that we have in this new covenant. And one of the biggest revelations you will ever have about God. You might see God in one situation you're in as provider. You might see him as Jaira. You might see him as Rapha. But the most powerful revelation you have of God is Father. It's Father. It's Father. There is access. Hallelujah. In the new covenant, we don't just have rules anymore. We have relationship. We don't just have regulations. We have a regulator. We don't just have actions. We have access. We don't just have bondage. In fact, we don't even have bondage again to fear. Now we have boldness. We, we don't have legalism. We have liberty. This is the life you've been called to. We don't just have laws now. We have life. We have a new life. This is the new covenant. And by reason of the fact that you are a son of God. Hallelujah. Remember I said that, that being a son is, not, is non-gendered. It's not about male or female. In Christ, the Bible says, Paul said, there is no slave, there's no free, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There is no male, there's no female. In God's family, it's not gendered. It's not. It, it, in God's eyes, you are a son, you have inheritance, and that's it. Hallelujah. But let me give you a balance to this, because when you have God as your father, it's easy for people to adulterate it. And I'll give you an example. I did have someone talk, I, I, I spoke to, and was like, you know, Holy Spirit is my bestie. Um, I, I talk to him anytime I want to rant. And I love that. It's a good culture to go to God when you have needs. I encourage it. And then she started to switch from bestie to boyfriend. I said, okay. Let us, let us draw the line here. Let's not get out of hand. I know you are that kind of cute, cuddly person. You want your own person, but go and find a man. Just leave, leave the man of Galilee alone. You know, I, I, let's be careful. Let's be careful because you don't want to water down the place that God is in your life. At the same time, a balance to it is you don't want to Go back to how it was in the old covenant, where there was a middle wall of partition, where there was a curtain where you couldn't enter the holies of holies. So I'll, I'll bring a balance. This is what I'll say. In this new life we have as sons, we are to be free and we are to be formed. And what I mean by free is when you come to God, you can come as you are. You can come as you are, dirty as you are, it's fine. Be free. There is freedom in him. You can approach God knowing that he accepts you and he's not ashamed of you. We read that already. You can come before God knowing that he loves, he cares about you. You can be free. You can tell him anything, but your posture must be formed. You can't just lie down eating popcorn and say, God, how far out? I did, how's heaven? How far the ages? And you're just gisting. There, there is a place 
where you need to be free and you, you, you should also be formed. Where you are at rest and you revere. Where you are at rest in him, but you also revere him. There's reverence for him. Where you have a father and then you also worship a king. That is the balance. It, it's almost like a dichotomy, but there is a healthy balance to it. There is access, but he's Lord. There is access, but he's king. There is access, but he's Lord over all creation. And he is the one who sustains you. There must be a reverence. Similar to how it would be if you, you're standing before a president or a military leader. There's a reverence you have. You cannot just behave anyhow. But also there's freedom there. Do you understand the balance? It's a healthy balance. It's a healthy balance. But that is what we have. Hallelujah. Now, what I want to do is just mention some qualities of a good son. I, I acronymized it, acronymized it with CAR, C-A-R. And the reason why I'm just listing the qualities is this. Sometimes when you present the qualities of a thing, you reveal the possibilities. I'll give you an example. It will make sense to you now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul listed the qualities of agape, Right? Qualities of love. love is patient, love is kind. But what he was actually doing was reveal the possibilities you could walk in. That you could put your name in place of love and say that you are patient and you are kind. Kenneth is patient. Kenneth is kind. Kenneth does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Kenneth believes all things. Kenneth endures to the end. He's trying to put you in a place where you realize that this is the life you've been called to. If truly you have received the love of the Father, you can be this. And what I want to do is show you the qualities of a son so that it shows you the possibilities of being a son. Number one, confidence belonging. You can call it confidence, but I want to call it confident belonging. Confident belonging. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11 to 14. I'll read it very quickly, so follow through. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11 to 14, then I, if, I, if I can, I'll read 17 to 18. It says, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you were once a Gentile in the flesh. If you're Nigerian, you are a Gentile. If you're African, if you're a Canadian, American, you are a Gentile, as long as you are not a Jew. And it says, in the flesh. Who are called on circumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12. And that at that time, you were without Christ. This is you he's talking about. You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no yea, 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 having no hope and without God in the world. That is where a lot of people still stand now. That was your past. Without hope and without God in this world. But now, I, 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 whenever I see buts in the scripture, B-U-T, by the way, whenever I see buts in the scripture, it inspires me. It touches me. It, show, it, it marks the difference between your past life and your new life. You are once dead in your transgressions, but God. You once followed diverse pleasures, but God, according to his kindness and rich mercy. Oh, God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you were distant, you were far, God had no business with you, 
You have now been brought near by what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Shout aloud, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God, you are near now. You have access now. For he himself is our peace. Who has made both one and has broken down, made both one. He's talking about the Jews and Gentiles. He's made both one and has broken down that middle wall of separation. He's broken it down. There was a wall. There was a hindrance. He's broken it all down. Hallelujah. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That is the baptism of the Spirit. We now have access by one Spirit to the Father. Glory to God. There is a boldness that you can carry now, knowing that there's no separation. As a son, there, is, there must be a sense of confident belonging. I belong to God's family. I am not a stranger anymore. I was, but not anymore. Hallelujah. There is a confident belonging I have. I belong here. This is where I am. This is my family. This is where I'm planted. And that's how you thrive. The prodigal son couldn't boast of what you could boast of. And that's where he even wandered afar off, even farther than he could. But when you realize that God is like that man, that father in that story, like this, you're never far off. This is your home. And anytime you come, there's celebration waiting for you because you've always belonged. I'm not going to treat you as a slave or as a servant. I'm treating you as a son. I will dress you with the best robes, throw a party in your honor. That is the family you belong to, a God and a son, Jesus Christ, who is not ashamed to call you brother. That's where you belong. So a good son understands that they belong. A good son understands that I belong here. There is a confidence. There is a boldness which the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice affords you. Glory to God. Number two. A son is assured. A son is assured. And this goes beyond just a sense of belonging. It's an assurance that your father will always come through for you. There is an assurance. An assurance that your father will go out of his way. How many of you have seen, and, and I'm, I know that they're bad examples, and, and I don't excuse them. But the good examples, some of you have been through school because of the labors of your fathers. Your parents, and, and maybe even your fathers especially, have spent millions upon millions getting you to school. Sending you to school. And many times they didn't even have the money to do it. They borrowed, they hustled. To get you, they went out of their way to just see that you were well. You did not miss a meal because they were able to provide. If your earthly fathers can be that good, there must be an assurance that my father can go out of his way. That I can trust my father. He might be silent, but he's working a plan in the, in the background. It might seem like I'm walking through the shadow of the, the valley of the shadow of death, but he's with me. Ah, yeah, yeah. I can know that my God is a good shepherd and I shall not want. Hallelujah. There's an assurance. There's an assurance. And if you read Matthew 6, you see all about it. Where Jesus says, take no thought for your life. If your father, if your heavenly father can take care of all these things, these creatures, these birds... The grass, ordinary grass that would be thrown into the fire one day, consumed the next. That he can provide for these things. How much more you who have much more value. 
He said it as a reminder to let you know you can be assured that God will take care of you. And number three, good, a good quality, a quality of a good son is resemblance. The first one is what? Confidence, belonging. Number two, assurance. Number three, resemblance. 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 There is the exp- <laughs> If you have, just think about it. You have two parents. A black man and a black woman, they come together, and their child is Caucasian. The child is Caucasian. You, would you ask questions or not? Or not? You will. Problem. <laughs> you start asking questions. How far now? You look at your skin. You look at your baby's skin. Right? There must, there must be a resemblance. You should look like the one who brought you to life. You must look like him. And I want to read a scripture which many might not even think is related to this, but it powerfully is. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Because, you know, when... I don't know if this was you. I don't know. But I watched it in Africa Magic. And I think my mom said this to me once, once upon a time. But she, didn't, she stopped saying that for a while. As she's sending me to school, packs my lunchbox. She says, go into the school. Remember the son. Of who you are. Do you know that? You heard that before, right? Because what they're saying by implication is that if you remember the son of who you are, you are literally going to represent the name of your family. You're going to represent the Ulusoya family when you go to school. So everything you do is the summary of the Ulusoya family. If you are good, the Ulusoya family is good. If you're bad, the Ulusoya family is bad. Do you understand? There's the representation that comes with being a son. Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And the context many people have used for this is that if you're not holy, if you're not pursuing peace with people, you will not be able to meet with the Lord your God. You will fall out, you miss heaven. But when you look contextually, this was not talking about your position in Christ. It was talking about conduct. Your conduct with people. That if you don't live a holy life, like God who is holy, your Father who is holy, the scripture says, be holy even as your Father is holy. You don't make peace with men just as God has made peace with you. People will not see God in you. People will not see the Father represented in you. The same thing that Matthew 5, you know, 16 says, that, you know, let your light so shine before men. They may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You must look like the one who brought you to life, the one who gave birth to you. You must look like that person. Glory to God. So those are the qualities of a good son. Let's go to the next one, number two. The second part of our, our, our responsibility and relationship with God is servant. Servant. We talked about son, now we're talking about servant. When you talk about servants, I want to to put this context to you. It makes more sense this way. A servant, as a servant, maybe some of you know the idea of servants because you've had, you know, help in the house or a houseboy, a houseboy, and you've seen how it is. The, The priority and the concern of a servant is what? It's first and foremost to the household. They have no business going to the neighbor's house. If you see your house up going to her, where are you going? Busy, where are you going? Sorry, sir, I'm just going to sweep my head in your neighbor's compound. 
Why? What happened to this one? I said, I just like the house. It's fine. <laughs> You're fired. You're gone. What are you doing? Your business is within the household that you've been placed under. Right? In the case of Joseph, similar case, where Joseph was enslaved, bought into Potiphar's house, his priority was with the welfare of the house. So much so that he cared too much that he, he, his hard work was evident. This was not just someone doing it for the pay. Maybe he was even, I don't know if he was being paid, but at least he got food, his basic needs. But he was not doing it. He was doing it for the prosperity of that household. That was his priority, prospering this household. And he did it so well that he was recognized. He was made the, the leader of all the servants in Potiphar's house. He was made the head. Your priority is to improve, to better, to prosper the conditions of the household, to add value, to make a significant contribution that the household is better. So I'll give you the qualities of a good servant, and I'll acronymize it with HOT. Yes, HOT. H-O-T. Number one, humble. Qualities of a good servant, and I'll talk about the responsibilities after. Qualities of a good servant. Number one, a good servant is humble. What a good servant does is you submit to the code of conduct of the house that you're in. You submit to the leadership that is there. Potiphar is your guy and he tells you go and do this. You say yes, so there is submission to it. You learn the ways of that house. You might have come up from a Jewish background, but now you are in an Egyptian community. You will live like an, like an Egyptian. Similarly with Daniel and his friends, they came from a Hebrew practice, but they had to adapt as well. Of course, they didn't compromise on their key values, but they had to adapt while in Babylon. They had to look like Babylonians. They had to adopt Babylonian names. There's a place of submission. There's a place of humility where you come and say, look, I am not, I am not the only one that matters here. There is a code of conduct. There's a way to live by, and I will live by it. That's a quality of a good servant. Number two, and you see how all this relates to you. I'll explain. Number two, a good servant is opportunistic. <laughs> it sounds interesting. A good servant is opportunistic. And what that means is a good servant will find every opportunity. A good servant, good, emphasis on good, will find every opportunity to meet needs of the household, to make the household better. We'll see, uh -uh. why is there dust under the chair? I will clean it. Okay, let me look. What has, this painting looks old. I want to make it better. Ah, this thing is outdated. I want to update it. Ah, this place is not, you, you are just intentional, looking for opportunities to meet needs in the household and improve things, to make things better, to make things better. And number three, a good servant is thoughtful. A good servant is thoughtful. You have your master, the one who, who employed you, you have them in mind. You have the, every other member of the household in mind. You're thoughtful. They're the, the preoccupation of your mind. If you're a good servant, you think about how we, many ways you can serve. That's what the word servant means, to serve. Right? That's the verb, to serve. 
the, the, the religious term for that is minister. The religious term for service is minister. We call this Sunday service. What it actually means is, this is on the Sunday we are serving you. <laughs> we are ministering to you. You're being ministered to. That's what it means, Sunday service. So a servant is thoughtful, is mindful, thinking about ways to serve, ways to minister. You have the people in mind. It's not just the tasks that are in mind. It's the people for which the tasks are made necessary. So hot, humble, opportunistic, and thoughtful. Qualities of a good servant. Now let's talk about the responsibilities of a servant. And I'm going to rush through. The responsibilities of a servant. And I want to bring this in the context of the church. Because like I said, you are a son and you are also a servant. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11. You know this all too well. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11. I'm just going to use this. I'm just going to use this. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Are you there? It says, and he gave himself... And he himself, I beg your pardon, gave some to be apostles. After he ascended, he left gifts behind in, in, in terms of people. He gave gifts. Uh, he, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Like I said, ministry or ministering is equivalent to service. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith. This is the goal. This is the goal. So look at this. There is a mindfulness. Just recapping what we've talked about. There is a mindfulness to equipping the saints for edifying the body of Christ, making the body of Christ better. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the standard of the fullness of Christ. There is maturity, which is the end goal. And all that you do in your service and your ministry and, and, and your thoughtfulness is all to make this happen. So number one responsibility, I'll say, is ministering to needs. Responsibility of a servant is ministering needs. Ministering to needs. Ministering to needs. And how we do this in the body of Christ is through many ways. Aside from just your willingness and your heart to serve, we do this effectively with gifts. We just saw it, that he gave gifts, you know, in the ministry. He gave gifts, uh, ministry gifts, fivefold ministry gifts for the building of the church. And also we see gifts of the Spirit. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4. Other more on-demand gifts of the Spirit, if I will use them that way. Number, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we read from verse 4 to 7. Are you following so far? I hope you're still here. Glory to God. You know, Paul used the term a lot, at least more than, at least more than 40 times uh, in, the New, in the New Testament, we see the word bond servant used. Bond servant, someone who is bound to service, bound to service, a bond servant, 
Someone who, whether physically or metaphorically, you can do no other thing but to serve. And personally, my personal mantra is this. I live to serve. I, I live to be a servant of God and his people. That's my life. And I can invite you to do the same, that you live to serve. That was Paul's preoccupation. I love that term, bond servants. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Diversities, many, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, differences of means of service, but the same Lord. Verse 6. And there are diversities of activities. But it's the same God who works all in all, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for what? For the profiting of all. The point of the gifts is for the benefit of other people. That you can minister to the needs of people through the gifts of the Spirit. And it goes on to list those gifts. And when you look at them, these are gifts that meet both physical and spiritual needs. Hallelujah. So if you are called to be a servant, you must be given to ministry. You must be thoughtful of people so much so that you are willing to serve them. And you will serve them gifts. Do you understand? If someone needs a word of wisdom, they are stuck in their life. They need a way forward. You serve them the gift. Look, bro, come. I have a word for you. And this is it. You serve them. <laughs> you serve them. Hallelujah. Do like this. You serve them. Some of you can play tennis, have you? You serve them. Give them gifts. You minister. That's what it is. Someone wants some, some, some encouragement in their life. You exhort them. That's how it works. It's on demand. If, if, let, me give, let me explain this to you. If you have a gathering of 50 people, and all of them, by the grace and special mercy of God, all of them are well. They are strong. They are healthy. Maybe like those in the wilderness when... Uh, you know, God preserved their lives and no one died. Maybe you are like that in that gathering and you now say, I have a healing gift. I am a healing minister, anointing for healing. In that meeting, permit me to use this language, you are useless. Do you understand what I'm saying? If no one has a healing need emotionally or physically, you are useless there. So on demand in that time, what God does is based on your availability Based on your desires as well, to when it says desire spiritual gift, you are ready and available to be used as a servant, and at the same time, you are desirous of it. Guess what? You will flow in the gift. You will meet a need. It, the gift is not for you. When you buy a gift for someone, guess what? The gift is not, is not for the person who bought Do you understand? It's for the person you want to give it to. That's the end goal. For the profiting of the church. Number two. The responsibility of a servant is partnering with the local church. Partnering with the local church. So ministering to needs and actively partnering with the local church. I'm going to give you an example from scripture. Praise the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 6 from verse 2. From verse, yeah. Acts chapter 6 from verse 2 to 4. And we'll read verse 7 afterwards. Acts chapter 6 from verse 2 to 4. Glory to Jesus. This is what it says. And the twelve, in, with the inclusion of Matthias, who replaced Judas, and the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said this, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and start seven tables. You want us to be seven? Is it beans? 
Is it Gary? Is it Eba? You want us to be seven tables? We cannot do that. Therefore, brethren, seek out from amongst you seven men of good reputation. Of course, seven for, you know, perfection. Uh, <laughs> full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And I tell you, to handle people, to handle human beings, you need what? You need the Holy Spirit and you need wisdom more. <laughs> These guys were wise. They knew this. To handle you bunch, we need, we need wisdom. So go and find people that you, you've identified as wise people who are full of the Spirit. And the funny thing is that they were able to. This became an easy assignment. And, and this is just a, a, a call to you, like starting from what I established from the beginning. Your growth is something measurable. It can be tangible. I can, I, if, if, if now we had a need like this to call seven people, top of my mind, there are seven people I can call from amongst you. Top of my mind. It, because it's perceptible. It's evident to the blind. You can tell the fervency of a person. It's not just by faith. No, this one was, was by sight. I'm telling you. You're not just saying, I, be, I believe in you, brother. You look like you are great. I believe. They saw people who had a track record of wisdom and ministering in the things of the Spirit. And they chose them. They chose Stephen, Parmenas, Timon, and the rest of them. Philip. They call these people as deacons. And it says, appoint them whom may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And as a result of this decision to call people who are willing to serve the needs of the people in the body of Christ. See what happened verse 7. Then the word of God spread. That's what we're talking about. When the body of Christ is effectively serviced, the word of God will spread. When the work of ministry is done, the word of God will spread. When the body of Christ is edified, the word of God will spread. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, the priests though, that were in the temple, became obedient to the faith. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Incredible. We are called to partner with our local church. This year, I want to encourage you, partner more. Partner more. Many of you are doing well. You are doing the right thing. Many of you have reached out. Many of you have said, no, this year, I'm not going to be a backbencher. I want to do more. I want to serve. And that is the, that's the holy anger and, and holy passion that we're looking for. Where you are dissatisfied and angry with just being mediocre. Where you want to step up and do some more. And that's how God, you see, your impact must be felt. You cannot pass a Potiphar's house and nobody knows your name. No. They must not just know your name, but appoint you over the business of that house. Do you understand? Seek leadership in the church. Seek ministry. By leadership, I'm talking about service. Leadership is what? Service. service. That's what I mean. But that you see a need and you step up. You might not have all the skills, you might not have all the confidence, but you step up anyways, and God will use you mightily. Everyone that God used in the scriptures was like that. They were not the most equipped, the most skilled, but they stepped up and God used them. That was enough. Be the one who steps up. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And the good news for this, I want to just buttress. These are the two points that I'm going to mention for responsibilities. You minister to needs and you partner actively with your local assembly. Wherever you are, don't, don't just be a backbencher. Partner. Partner. I'm not saying everywhere you go, you must, you must support. No. 
the place that you have been blessed and enriched as much as you have been now, partner there. Be the kind of person who sees beyond. Think about it. Imagine the 12 disciples and, and those who were with them in the upper room, about 120 of them, were there in the upper room and just said, this is all that there is. If they were not able to see beyond that upper room, if they were not able to see that, look, it's all nations. So they make disciples of all nations. I'm telling you, they will not have grown beyond where they did. And the, the Bible says they grew. They grew. The word prevailed. They grew. 3,000 were added. More disciples were added. They grew because everyone was seeing the bigger picture and working towards that picture. That is how to be a servant. Say, I am a servant of God. I service the body. I minister to needs. I am not afraid to do so. I step up this year. I take responsibility. I take on mantles. And I service God's body. Can you shout aloud? Hallelujah. Amen. The good news, like I said, for this is that there are rewards. And let me ask you a question. Have, have you imagine this? Just let me give you a scenario. Imagine that Ali Kodangote, who we know to be the richest man, if I'm not mistaken, in Africa. And according to Google, the owner of Nigeria. <laughs> according to Google, he was just passing your streets for some reason, wanted to explore. Maybe they found that there's more resources, raw materials uh, to make cement and he, you know, surveying the place. And then he was just passing. Hmm? And he wanted to do something. All these other guys are focused on the work and he's passing and he's, he needs help. He needs to carry something from there into his boots and you're available, you're there. And Dangote says, ah, uh, hello, please, can you come? Can you help me carry this thing into the car, the boots? Just help me, please. Ah, Dangote says, ah, no, 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 don't worry. No, just, just help me carry it. So, uh, just carry it for me. And you carry it. Ah, okay, sir. You carry it. When you do that work, that simple task of carrying, there is some expectation, right? That, ah, this guy will do something. He will bless me. He will, his thank you will make sense. <laughs> he just thank you. It's one iPhone 14. Ah, just, uh. Thank you. Just, just thank you in kind. You know, just give you iPhone 4. Just serve you something. You know, there's an anticipation because his thank you might not, will carry some weight. Even if it's thank you, the fact that it came from him, it means a lot, right? The good thing is that you serve a faithful father who sees your labor and rewards. I want to remind you of that. While that is not the motivation and always should not be the motivation in any way, but I can tell you it's part of the package. I'll read two scriptures to you. Colossians chapter 3 from verse 22 to 24. And I want you to use this as an encouragement that when you do the work that you do, do it heartily. Do it cheerfully. Colossians 3 verse 22. It says, bond servants. Look at that phrase. Bond servants. And of course in the context it was literally referring to those who were employed to service. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with what? Look at that. Not with what? Not with eye service as men pleasers. You're not doing it for what people will say, for the commendation of men. You're serving because you, you are serving God. But he says, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Look at that. It's God who you fear. As you're doing this work, it's not for Pastor Kenneth. It's not for the leadership of this ministry. It's not. You're doing it for God and God alone, not eye service. If you do this all your life, let me tell you, if you do the work consistently, maybe behind the scenes, and no one says thank you, 
I'm telling you if, you, if you have your priorities straight, it won't mean anything to you. And I'm not saying we will not do that. If you know me and you know the, the ministry that we run here, we appreciate. We call it out. We shout out when we see good work, no matter how little. But guess what? Even if we don't say anything, at the end of the day, there will be some guy up there, your father, who will look at you and all the work and say, welcome home. Thank you. Thank you for your labors. Welcome, you faithful servant. And that would mean the world. Every other thank you, every other sort of appreciation will fade away. Not as men please us, not with eye service. But in sincerity of heart, sincerity of heart, sincerity of heart, fear God. Fearing God. Verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily. As what? To the Lord and not to men. Do it heartily. Not as to men, but as to God. Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord. Look at that. So you're not doing it because. You are doing it knowing. Ah, There's a difference. You're not doing it because God is going to reward you. But you're doing it knowing that there is a reward. There's a difference. The reward in itself is not the motivation. But it's a knowledge that keeps you going. Hallelujah. It's a knowledge and a rest that you know that, look, God has got me. He is not unfaithful. He sees my work. He says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Who do you serve? You serve the Lord Christ when you serve his people. When you serve God's people, you are serving God. Do you understand what I'm saying? In Malachi 3, God said, you have robbed me. And people ask, how have we robbed you, God? How did we steal from you? He said, because you did not pay your tithes and offerings. You did not give the Levitical priests that I had consecrated for the work of temple service. And that's how you robbed me. You did it to me. When Jesus spoke about the sheep and the goats, he described the sheep as those who met his needs. Those who gave him food when he was hungry and, and water when he was thirsty. And he said, how did we do this to you? I don't remember a time. And he said, as much as you did this to the littlest of them, you did it to me. That is service. When you serve God, you do it by serving his people. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I love that. Steadfast, immovable, abounding. Steadfast, immovable, abounding. Steadfast, immovable, abounding. Steadfast, immovable, abounding. I was going to make music out of it, but there's no time. In the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is what? Not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not is an encouragement to you. This was a scripture I needed the most last year because I couldn't understand how is it that we spend this time doing this and doing that and people are doing the exact opposite. God, what is happening? Why does it feel like there's no increase? Why does it feel like there's no progress? But this reminded me that, look, I should be steadfast, immovable, and keep abounding in the work that's already committed. Because God knows our labor is not in vain. It's not in vain. It's doing work. It's producing work. It's producing fruit. Number three, your responsibility as a soldier. Responsibility as a soldier. When you talk about being a soldier, just in the term in itself, you're talking about a defense or an attack towards what? External forces. So it's not just within the household. Yes, there's a part where you are trying to protect the household, but it's your, your, your attention is focused at externally. Do you, do you understand that? 
As a servant, your priority is the household. Nobody nothing concerns you with neighbor's house. As a soldier, ah, <laughs> outside your, your household is your priority. What is going on outside? 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 3 to 5. I'm going to read it quickly. And I'm going to use this scripture uh, to explain certain things. But let me not get ahead of myself. Let me just show you the qualities of a soldier. And, and I'll read that scripture to you. The qualities of a good soldier. Let's talk about the qualities of a good soldier. When you talk about a soldier, a soldier is the one who is commissioned with a task, an objective, and is sent. Emphasis on the word sent, deployed, as you call it, to accomplish that task. And, and usually that task is accomplished home and abroad. But look at this. Number one, quality of a good soldier, and I'm trying to rush because of time. A good soldier is mission-minded. A good soldier is mission-minded. This means you understand the objective, the urgency of it as well. You understand what it is you've been called to do. You know the details. You've been briefed. You know it's at this longitude, latitude coordinates. You know it's at this place, at this time, with this group, with this. You are aware. You know. You are, you are minded about the mission. You know. And then you know the urgency that if you miss it by one minute, you've missed it altogether. Some of you have played those video games. If you miss it by one second, you, the game has failed. And this is the mission. This is the mission. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is the work. You don't reconcile, reconcile things that are already within. You go outside to reconcile so that they can be brought within. Do you, make, do you understand? Do you make sense of that? So he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed, committed, commissioned to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors, soldiers, representatives for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the mission. Matthew 28, 18 says it beautifully. Make disciples of all nations. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We were commissioned, and then from that commission, we got our mission. We got our mission. Glory to God. The beautiful thing is that when there's a commission, there's a commitment to give you all you need to complete. That's what God does. When he says, before he said, go ye therefore, he said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Now go. Beautiful stuff. Now, using 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 3 till the end, I want to highlight some, some other qualities. Open your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 3. Let's go there. It says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. You therefore was, was what? must endure all hardship, all hardness, as a good soldier of Christ. So a good soldier is one that is what? Resilient, that's number two. One who is resilient in the face of adversity, in the face of hardship, you stand your ground. You stand your ground. You are able to withstand the highest pressure because pressure makes diamonds, amen. You are able to withstand it. And James echoed this in James chapter 1 from verse 2 to 4. He says, my brethren, 
count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. Let patience, and many of you, you need to hear this. The, the, you're passing through trying times, but let it soak in. Soak in the pressure. Soak in the trials. Oh, soak in the tribulations. Let it soak in because it's working in you. It's working patience in you. He says, let it have its perfect work. Let it do what it's supposed to do. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That you'll be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. So when you face hardship, remember that you're better for it. (laughs) When you face an obstacle, a hindrance, one that is often very painful, remember that as a good soldier of Christ, you will endure it because when you come out of this hardship, you are better, you are perfect, you are complete, you are more patient. And that's the quality of a good soldier. You're resilient through hardship. Number three, we're going to read verse four of 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2 verse four, it says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please the one who enlists him as a soldier. Look at Paul's example. Powerful. He says, no one who is engaged in warfare, battle, will engage himself with you. You don't find someone who is drafted in the work of, 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 of the army. Why am I stuttering? Sorry. When you have someone who is drafted in the army, you won't see them going outside just drinking. Oh, are you not meant to be on food? I just wanted to you know, go to the club and just chill. What? What? Many of them have to leave their families to defend their countries. Do you realize that? He says, you're not, you're not even entangled with the affairs of life. You're not, you're not having intimacy with your family. You're not socializing. You're not going to a club. You're not taking a course you know, in uh, you know, business management. You're not entangled. That's not your business. Your business is on the, on the, on the, on the war front. So, the third quality of a good soldier is that you are separate. You are separate. Another word is you are sanctified. Another word is that you are consecrated. Another word is that you are holy. You are set apart. But a good soldier is separate. You are not entangled. No entanglements. You are, you are willing to lose and leave anything if it means that. That you're not tied to a place, you're not tied to a spot, you're not tied to achievement, you're not tied to your career, you're not tied to anything that you can live it all for the sake of the battle that is to be fought. You are separate. Separate. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15 to 16, I see a beautiful picture of it. When I, read, I was reading the, the conversion of Paul, I looked at it and I found it so beautiful. God was speaking to Ananias, the person that would go to meet Paul, cure him of his blindness, and then preach the gospel for him to believe. The vision was not enough to convert him, and, and God will not force anyone to believe. But God got his attention and told Ananias, go and preach to him the gospel so he may believe, and he will receive his sight. In verse 15, he says, but the Lord said to him, go. Because he, he argued, said, ah, God, we know this guy. He has a reputation. He has persecuted us. For so long. That's why he was even on the road to Damascus. And God spoke to him and said, See, go. I know what I'm doing. But he's a what? A chosen vessel, a separated vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children. God saw all of it. 
before it even happened. He will go to the Gentiles. He will stand before kings. He did. He stood before Caesar. He stood before Governor Festus and many other governors. He spoke to, to, to magistrates, centurions, and to the children of Israel as well. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. When it comes to being a soldier, anyone God will use as a soldier, you are his chosen vessel. He separates you. He chooses you. You are chosen by God to war with the forces of darkness. Number four, a good soldier is competitive. And I'll read verse five. It says, and if anyone competes in athletics, that's 2 Timothy 2 verse 5, which we are still on. And if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. A good soldier is competitive, contentious. There's a mark to reach and you will go the extra mile to do better. You're competing. We, we have a lot of competition. In the body of Christ, our competition is not the next door church, the one across the street. Our competition is with the forces of this world, the unseen rulers of this, of this dark world that influence this world, the God of this world, the agenda of this world. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says this. 1 Corinthians 9 from verse 24. This is what it says. Do you not know that those who run a race run all, but one receives the price? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. It says there's a way that you will run that will look like you're going to reach it. <laughs> Do you get? There's a way to run that you know that, look, at this speed, at this pace, at this momentum, you will get it. You will obtain it. Verse 25, and everyone who competes for the price is temperate in all things, right? Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for what? An imperishable crown. Glory to God. That's what I'm talking about. The race we are running is not for earthly, it's not for gold medals. It's for eternal rewards. Verse 26, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. And this is someone who is mission-minded. I am not running with uncertainty. I know what I'm doing. It says, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I am not aiming in the wrong direction. I know what my competition is. I'm clear on who I'm fighting against, and I will run. Do you understand the point? As a good soldier, you are competitive, but you must know the enemy. You must be contentious against your enemy. Your enemy is not the old woman in that village. It's the principalities and powers. It's not the flesh and blood. Realize that. There is a war to be fought and we must be competitive. We must be sensitive. We must not sponsor the work of darkness. Number five, and this leads me to my next point, which I derive from verse 27 of 1 Corinthians. A good soldier must be disciplined. Ah, oh, man, so much to cover, but let me just wrap up. A good soldier must be disciplined. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Look at that. I discipline my body. This is Paul speaking. And I bring it into subjection, lest that when I have preached to other people, I should be disqualified from the race. A good soldier is disciplined. Yes, your body wants you to do this. Yes, you feel like you should, you should just give in and indulge. But a good soldier is disciplined. Yes, you want to sit down, but they told you to stand in the sun for eight hours as part of your training, you will stand. They told you to, to have Bible study. And, and look, I want to encourage you. 
A soldier is disciplined. Now we're having Bible study service. I know you might want a seven-minute sermon or a 20-minute sermon or a one-hour sermon. But look, if you have three hours of a sermon, are you disciplined enough to say, look, there's a war. This is the training for that war. And I'm ready to give myself in discipline to the study of the word. That's a good soldier. We are having stretch for six hours. We're not wasting time. We, we, we have something to fight. This is how we wage war. Through prayers. Through the preaching of the word of God. And so we say we're giving our time so that we can, we can prepare the land. Prepare hearts. We're taking time to pray for six hours. And you are watching Netflix. You are tuned in on Mixler, but your TV is playing. They are joking now. They play. They play. Just they play. <laughs> There's a war to fight. And on that day, it will be clear who was ready for the war. To be ready, yeah, it to be clear. I beg your pardon, to be obvious. Give yourself to discipline, good soldier. Give yourself to discipline. Give yourself to discipline. Value the things of of the, of, of the kingdom. Value it. Prayer, Bible study, evangelism. Give yourself to it. Number six. The good soldier lives or dies by the work. You live, or you die by the work. And I'm reading from that same 2 Timothy 2 that we read, verse 6. It says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So as a good soldier, you live by what you're doing. You're sustained by it, is what I'm trying to say. So because you've been, you've been enlisted in the army, you live by it. You are taking care of it. And even if it means losing your life for that very cause, you're willing to do the same. So you live or die by the work. And, and Paul says something similar in, Philipp, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, For me to live, for to me, to live is Christ, and what? To die is gain. Right? And then he is, he is in a, you know, a conundrum, thinking, Look, I'm, I'm hard pressed between two. I, I, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. And there was a time that, oh, I don't know if I should share this, but there was a time I, I had a period where I was such in strong ecstasy. Of my Lord and Savior, I was like, Lord, if, if you can take me now, I want to go. This was my 200 level. Not because I was having suicidal thoughts or depressive. I, I just wanted to meet the person who saved me. I loved him so much. I, I wanted to see him. But there was work to be done. You know, Paul said, look, I had a desire to be, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Think about that. So you live or die by the work. Number seven, a good soldier is passionate. And it's your passion that drives your commitment. When you genuinely care for your country and you're going to battle, when you think about your family that you left behind, when you think about your children that you left behind, when you think about the community and the estate and the people that you love and are dear to you, when you defend them, you will do everything in your power to protect them. So when you go home, you say, look, you are the one that was in my mind. You're passionate about people. Now, let's talk about the responsibilities very quickly. Number one, the responsibilities of a very good soldier is that they advance, you're to advance the work. You're to advance the work. You're to advance the work. You're to move it forward somehow. You are to contribute to the work of God somehow. You are to move it, at least move the needle a bit because you were there. The responsibility of a good soldier is to advance the work, advance the mission. God will never send angels to preach the gospel. Have you not noticed? You've seen examples. With Paul's example, it was Ananias. With Cornelius' example, it was Peter. With the Ethiopian eunuch's example, it was Philip. Not angels. God has commissioned us as apostolos, as saints. 
He sent us to do this work. And we must advance it. We must push it a bit. And know that, look, because I was there in this place, the gospel prospered in that place at that time. And then someone comes to push it further again. And we keep moving. That's how we do it. We just push it forward. We advance the gospel. Amen. (laughs) Sorry, I got carried away. But we push it forward. We advance the gospel. Hallelujah. Verse 2. I said verse 2. Number 2. The second responsibility is to defend your kingdom. Defend your kingdom. I'll use two scriptures to summarize this. First Peter 3.15. You know this all too well. If you have been part of this ministry, you know this one. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. Talk about training. Talk about readiness. Be ready always to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He says you must be ready to defend. People will ask you questions about your faith. And through the preaching of the word, you can defend. That is our weapon. By the, the word of righteousness, we can defend the faith. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 to 6. Colossians 4, 5 to 6. It says, walk in wisdom towards those who are, we, who are outside. No, those that say we are outside, those are the people. Uh, <laughs> I'm talk- you're talking about unbelievers, actually. Walk in wisdom towards those who are without, who are outside. Redeeming the time. Let your speech, verse 6, always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This is our defense. Our defense is by answering questions with the right answers. Defend your kingdom. Defend your kingdom. God is calling you to do that. That people will question your faith. You're not cowering in fear because you're unprepared. You know. In fact, you expected it. You anticipated it and you knew the answers already. That's how you defend the kingdom. Number three, you attack the enemy. You attack the enemy. Jude 1 verse 3 says this. Beloved, while I was with you, uh, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you Exhorting you to contend earnestly, to fight competitively and earnestly for the faith, the faith, the teaching, the doctrine, which was once delivered for all to the saints. And then he goes to talk about false teachers. And he's saying, look, attack the enemy. Contend. You will fight by correct doctrine. Hallelujah. By the preaching of the gospel, you can both defend and you can offend. (laughs) That's the point. But you must attack. Don't just always be at the receiving end, expecting them, expecting questions, expecting this, and then you, re- you respond. Don't just be on the response side. Trigger something. Initiate something. Fight. Push back some more. Initiate. Start. Pioneer. Attack. Come up with some idea. They've created a movie that is representative of all that shouldn't be. Create your own movie. It might seem like it's a response, but in itself it's an attack. And before they even produce the next one, you produce another one. You write a new book. Imagine someone writing, oh my goodness. Imagine someone writing a book about, I forgot what it's called, is it the, the gay Bible or something? The, or the rainbow Bible, something like that. Richard rewrote the entire Bible to suit a homosexual narrative, a non-binary LGBTQ narrative. Come on. That is demonic. Or we will attack. There's work to be done. And we will do the work. Number four, and the last one, responsibility is establish the kingdom way. 
It's one thing for you to advance the work. It's one thing for you to defend. It's one thing for you to attack, but the, the point of all of this is to establish. And that was what happened, sadly, in a place like Ephesus, which is today, current-day Turkey, is that the word needed to be established. Yes, there was an attack. And I'm going to show you a story here. It's in Acts chapter 9. I'll read it very quickly. Acts chapter 9, 19, I beg your pardon. Acts 19. The point is establish the kingdom way. Acts chapter 19, we talk about Paul, miracles were worked by his hands, his aprons, his handkerchief healed people. And there were seven sons of Sceva, right? They, you know, uh, Sceva was a Jewish priest and he had seven sons. And they came to cast out devils, you know, trying to use the name of the Lord. And the evil spirits, verse 15, said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? And the man whom this evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house naked. Yeah. Verse 17. This became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together. Right? Let me see. Brought their books together and burned them in all their sights. And they counted up the value of them and totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. And this was not... So just mind you... (laughs) Just mind you, many people will read this narrative and say, ah, how is it that evil spirits empowered, you know, um, overpowered seven men, beat them up, and because of this, the people believed. That's what it looks like, right? Ah. But contextually, look at verse 12. It says, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. So because of these works and unusual miracles, the people believed. Do you understand? This one was a, from verse 13, was just a, how do I say it? It was a, what's the word they use in movies? Not a flashback. It was a cut out or something, or a cut in or something like that. Yeah, it's just a, a, to tell you people who also tried to do what Paul did, basically. But because of what Paul did and the miracles they saw, people believed. People brought their magic books that thought could do more than what Paul did to heal ailments that only Paul could do at that time. The Bible says they burnt their books and it was 50,000 pieces. For perspective, Judas was so desperate to sell Jesus and 30 pieces was all that he got. 50,000 pieces it resulted and the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. Sadly today, in modern day um, Ephesus, which is Turkey, it's predominantly Islam. How did it happen? The point is, and, and not to waste too much time, the point is wherever you advance the gospel, establish it as well. Build roots. Build roots. Generational roots that can last the test of time. You know, when a soldier goes to war, what you do is you don't just win a battle and then you leave the place. You claim it as a territory. Do you understand? A soldier does not just fight and say, okay, that's it. We've done it. Come back again. By the time you leave, you'll meet more enemies there. You'll meet more people to contend with. So you establish a domain. You plant people there and make sure that their children and their children's children can continue what you did. you've done. I beg your pardon. That's American English language, what you did, you know. Uh, but you plant it, and that's how it works. So establish the kingdom 
way. Praise the name of Jesus. Well, to, to close off, what I'll say is this. We are called to participate in a global move, people of God. There is a global move, and we are that move of God in this generation. I've learned it the, the hard way and the easy way that, look, God will not move unless you move. He's giving you dominion over all life, over this earth. And he said, look, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. When you do this, this will be what will happen. When you move, I will move. We are the move of God in this generation, people of God. We are the army of God in this end time, but we only, look, the children of Israel cannot just win battles if they don't go. They must shall go, even if it's to blow trumpet though, or to, to march around a place or to just be present and just fight. Somehow they must, show, they must go, but God goes when they go. Hallelujah. And as much as you see your part as a servant in the, in the local assembly, see that you can contribute to the global work of the ministry uh, in, in the world. Do you understand? You're not just some usher or protocol member at V5 Ministries. You can contribute significantly to the ministry and also globally. And I, and I don't want to share too many things prematurely, but here in V5 Ministries, we're going to raise people that we will deploy. I'm talking soldiers, not just... In the sense, we'll raise many servants, but we'll also deploy many soldiers. If you understand that, say a loud amen. amen. There'll be people who will go to establish the kingdom way, geographically, wherever they go. And you'll be well equipped. And you will do the work well, in Jesus' name. And, and I'll say this, that at the end of the day, your imputes must be seen. This is how we, we spread the work. We talk it. We speak about it. We share. You know this statement, a closed mouth is a closed destiny. Many people use that in context of prayer. That if you don't talk, if you don't pray, your destiny is finished. I'm, I want to borrow that language and use it in the context of salvation. A closed mouth is a closed destiny for the person who you were meant to preach to. Their destiny is closed off. They don't have access to, far, to the Father and to eternal life. And this is how we win. We preach the gospel. Hallelujah. I want you to remember that as you're doing this mission, the work is easy. The weapon you are fighting with is in itself powerful. Let, let me ask you a question. If you are carrying a, a shotgun, for example, and you are going to a battle, you are not just focusing on your ability to carry the gun. You are focusing on the power of the gun in itself to do the work, right? Inherently, remember this, that the gospel of salvation is powerful enough to save. The Bible says in Romans 1.16 that we are not, for we are not ashamed for I am not ashamed, Paul was speaking, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to save, first to the Jews and then to, to the Greeks, anyone who believes. So the gospel in itself is the power. As you are speaking the words of salvation, that Jesus loves you, that he died on the cross, took your place as a representative, was killed on the Roman cross, was buried and was risen after three days for your forgiveness and justification. And if you believe in him, you will be saved. As you are saying that, that you can receive forgiveness of sins when you believe in him, I am telling you, power is released, literally. Power, like as you are speaking, supernatural spiritual power is released. Remember that your weapon is powerful. It's not about your bold presentation. It's not just about your eloquence. It's the message itself. It carries power. And I want to commend those soldiers who went out yesterday, whether in Lagos or Port Harcourt or Ibadan, wherever you were, or Ogun State. I want to tell you thank you. And not because you're doing it for me, but thank you for your courage. Thank you for saying yes. 
For some of you, it was your very first time, but you did it anyways. And it's beautiful. You get to do it with fellow soldiers. You don't just, you're not just a solo man shooting you know, in the air. You go with your team. And that's exactly the approach. I want to congratulate you. You've done well for the gospel. And there will be more, more opportunities to do this again. Next one is in March. I want to see many more soldiers. I want to see many more kingdom-minded people around. I want us to see streetlights. If you can see the vision of streetlights, I want you to see it in every city in this nation. I want you to see it in every country in Africa. It, it will spread. It's a force of its own. All right? Praise the name of Jesus. But I'll just say this. We need people to go to the nations. There are people who have not heard the gospel. And a soldier, many times you'll be commissioned to go to hostile land. You'll be commissioned to go to where it's not convenient. But guess what? We must go. We must go. And go we shall in Jesus' name. Amen. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it. And let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.